I have, I don't know if you guys have gotten a lot from it, but Nehemiah I have just as has impacted me in a tremendous way. I don't think I knew what I was doing when I was picking books. I was drawing them at random. No, I'm just joking. I didn't do that. Um, you guys are like, man, that's really spiritual. No, I'm just, I, uh, when I picked this book, I, I really didn't know what I was doing. I mean, the Lord knew what he was doing. But, man, it's been helpful to me as we as a church have been in transition and coming into this season to learn about leadership. And uh, it's been tremendously helpful for me. Yes. We were down in Florida two weeks ago mm-hmm. and with my Aaron and Jonathan. Yeah. And we were down there on the beach and we built the wall around uh-huh. the bridge. <laughs> talking to them about it, the temple and everything. And I used that that you did before we left. You were talking about in Nehemiah, I guess it was four, Nehemiah mm-hmm. four, about how they got them together, mm-hmm. uh, the family, yeah. and worked together. Yeah, that's neat. And, uh, so we shared that that evening talking mm-hmm. about that. That's neat. It was probably 10 feet in diameter. That's neat. Yeah. That is so neat. That's great. You know, uh, I love the fact, like Nehemiah, there's just, each chapter has kind of a different phase, a different area that he's going through. You know, this has absolutely, I couldn't help it, but when Tracy was showing pictures and they're having a Sunday school class in a bathroom, how awesome is that? Like in America, could you imagine? Hey, kids, we're moving the classroom. We're going to the bathroom. Well, you, there ain't, I mean, it just wouldn't. In our church, this is funny. Uh, one of the things I had to adjust to in Thailand is in our in our auditorium, and Pastor Phil remembers this. Uh, they right up there by the podium, by the pulpit where you would preach from, was a bathroom directly to your left, and there was an open window on the top. And you know, we had multiple bathrooms in that building. But the thing that was hilarious is, and, and I know this is, I, I don't want to get crude on you, but if it was bad, they went upstairs. <laughs> and if it wasn't bad, then they went downstairs. And it didn't matter if you were preaching or not. Like when nature calls, you just take care of your business. That's the mission field, folks. Like, and as American, you're like, really? You're really going to do that right now? And so, sorry, that's just a detour from Nehemiah. But I'm telling you, like, mission field stuff, it's like, it's, it's real, you know. And Tracy, we, we love hearing about what God's doing with you. Uh, Nehemiah, <laughs> got to draw that back in. Nehemiah chapter 6 had nothing to do, it actually does a little bit. Uh, but, um, you know, I was reading in a book, uh, Chuck Swindoll, he has a great work on Nehemiah chapter 6. If you ever read it, you'll notice that there's some stuff that's been stolen from him. But um, Nehemiah chapter 6 he, uh, he was talking about George Allen, the old football coach, and he was talking about the fact that he made a switch from the Rams to the Redskins, and he promised when he came over to the uh, Redskins, he promised that within two years that they would win a, a Super Bowl, which at the time, like for a coach to come out and just be real direct, hey, we're going to turn this team into a championship team, and he was promising them the moon that everything was going to happen quickly, and he was going to, I don't think it happened, but uh, what ended up happening was is that uh, in that second season, the preseason started off fantastic. They were winning games. They got into the early part of their season, and they were winning, but eventually, like most things, they began to, to lose. They began to just, they kept losing, and, and, and the thing was is that as time passed by, 
and they began to lose, he didn't, he, he didn't take the blame for it. He began to even talk about, I guess he had a, a very good quarterback at that time named Sonny Jurgensen. I didn't, I didn't know that name. Maybe some of you are familiar with the name. But Sonny Jurgensen, supposedly, when he was the, the quarterback for the team, he was a really experienced quarterback. Um, he, he made some, uh, he, he was used to facing the moments. And, but after they had the bad games, the coach had somewhat blasted him a little bit for his play and saying that he wasn't playing up to par, that he could have been playing better. And so a sports writer ended up coming to Sonny Jurgensen and asked, ended up asking him, you know, do you want to quit when you're leaving the field and all the fans are throwing stuff at you from, from you know, the, the stands? Do you ever want to quit when you hear that your, your coach begins to think that you're making really bad moves and bad decisions? And one of the things that Sonny Jurgensen said, this is his words, he said, no, not really, I don't want to quit. I've been in this game long enough to know that every quarterback, every season, spends his time either in the penthouse or the outhouse. <laughs> and you know, when I was thinking about that in leadership, that's really what leadership is like. You know, a lot, there are some times where you're in the penthouse where things are going amazing. But a lot of times in leadership, there's times where it's not the penthouse, it's, it's the bottom, it's the outhouse, it's the uh, not so great times. And when you come to Nehemiah chapter 6, you notice that Nehemiah is in a tough time of his leadership. I mean, this guy, I mean, he had been very focused on his mission, building the wall, staying to the task, even despite all the opposition that he faced from the outside. And the thing that I appreciate about Nehemiah is that at each phase of his ministry, he had the ability to keep his hand to the task. And I don't know about you guys, but I've, the things that I respect about leadership as a person that despite the hardships and the difficulties that they face, they're a person that can stay focused even when it would be easy to lose your focus. Nehemiah, and, and we talked about this, he went through three different phases of his ministry. You remember his original job, his original occupation was what? You remember? Cupbearer. Yeah, you guys are starting to get this. Yes. All right. Okay. So he originally was cupbearer. Don't get me discouraged now. Okay. So cupbearer. And then from that, he came to Jerusalem. And you remember what his second job was? He was a builder. He began to stay at the task. God had called him there for a specific reason. You remember that Jerusalem was the center of what God was doing. It was his people. And the job that he wanted to complete was he wanted the walls rebuilt. And he wanted his people to be protected from an enemy that wanted to destroy them. And so Nehemiah came back for the specific task of rebuilding a wall. Very difficult to do in his time. It hadn't been done in the previous 70 years. And here comes Nehemiah. He has to work with people that have a, a mindset of being used to having no walls. And he has to be able to begin to organize them and push them and encourage them and challenge them to rebuild even when there was outside opposition coming in. And then we noticed a couple weeks ago that not only had he been a cupbearer and had he been a builder, but it was, in, it was in God's plans to bring him back to not just do those two roles, but then to become what? The governor of Jerusalem. And we talked about last week, the fact is, is that it's really hard to find people that are willing to step up and do a difficult job. 
Have you ever noticed that? People have opinions. People love to share those. But when it comes to doing difficult jobs, it's really hard to get people that are willing to to stick things out, to keep their hand to the job. And Nehemiah, in each stage of his life, he just remained to the task. He kept his hand to the plow, so to speak. He didn't turn around and look behind him or to the sides because the enemy, they love to do what? They love to get you distracted. And the fact is, is that Nehemiah, the key to him finishing the task and doing this incredible thing that he did for God's glory was this, folks. He had an incredible ability to keep his eye on the mission that God gave him. Folks, listen, whatever comes our way in our world and in our culture, we have to have the ability to keep your eye on the mission. If you get distracted, listen, we have an enemy that would love to distract us, would love to get our attention on other things, secondary things, But what you're going to notice is that in Nehemiah chapter 6, he's not in the penthouse, he's in the outhouse, and he's under attack. Now, all these other things that had happened before this were really uh, aimed at the Jewish people as a whole. Now, when you come to Nehemiah chapter 6, this is where it changes. The enemy had shifted their approach at, instead of just attacking the group of people, now they were going to attack the leader. Hey, folks. There is nothing that Satan would love more than to pick off God's leader of his, of his particular mission. And so what happens is, is that the enemy begins to shift their attention from the people and the task of rebuilding the wall and trying to discourage them from that. And they begin to focus their attention not on the people as a whole, but on who? The leader. The leader. And folks, uh, all of us, whether you be, you're the, the, head, the head of your household or you're the head of a ministry in the church, there is nothing that Satan would love more than to distract you, attack you, knock you off the top, because if he can get the leader, then what? He can get everybody else. And folks, it ought to be the prayer of every single person in this room. We all should pray for the people that God puts in leadership over us. God, would you protect our hearts? Would you keep us from this so that we won't, we won't get distracted from the mission? Amen. All right, now let's look at what happens. I want you to notice, first of all, when the attack occurs. When the attack occurs. It's very surprising juncture at when this enemy begins to attack Nehemiah personally. Uh, I don't think that it's weird or strange. I think the enemy is very strategic at when they choose to focus their attention on a leader. Look at Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 1. It's when he's almost finished with the task. Look at what he says. Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. So notice that the attack occurred when? They were about to do what? Finish the gates. The walls had already been built. The only thing that was lacking was what? Just gates. That's it. I mean, he's right on the brink of being able to dedicate the wall and be able to say, you know, look, we've got this finished. It's done. We're protected. But listen, The fact is, is that he's at a point where he's about to experience victory. He's at a point where he's about to complete the task. 
And it's not weird, it's not by coincidence that the enemy begins to attack him while he's on top, when he's about to experience victory. The Bible tells us over and over again, like 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 says this, Wherefore let him that thinks he stands do what? Take heed lest he fall. You know, it's in times of when you're experiencing great victory where you really have to learn to be on guard. Nehemiah is within maybe a couple days of being able to complete the task. And that's when the enemy began to come at, they turned all of their ammunition, they began to turn all of their weapons towards the leader when they were right at the point where they were about to break through and complete the whole thing. Now, if you were to look in scripture, we could give you example after example of people that were on the brink uh, or had experienced great victory, but during their time of victory is when Satan knocked them off the top. Can you think of anybody? Think of a person like David. David didn't shift his eyes towards Bathsheba When did it happen? It happened during a time where he had been experiencing victory after victory after victory. Right? When when he actually failed with Bathsheba to that point, he had never experienced victory in his, uh, he had never experienced defeat in his life up to that moment. Did you know that? From the time that he became king, he began to dominate his enemies. I mean, it was one victory, one battle after another. David would knock another group off, knock another group off. And when it was when kings would go off to war. And you remember he stayed back? It was during a time of victory when he didn't have his guard up quite as much. That's when the enemy came after David. You remember Jonah? Jonah, I mean, what preacher wouldn't want to go to a city and see Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people come uh, to believe the message that you brought to them. Jonah throws a pity party right after his great victory. He didn't really want it, in all honesty. But, and so it was right after a great victory. You remember what happened with Joseph when he got promoted in Potiphar's house, and that's when Potiphar's wife came and threw herself at him? It happened after what? After the promotion, when he could lead the house any way that he wanted to. He turned that one down. But listen, folks, when you're going through those times of victory and when you're, uh, when you're uh, experiencing this time of victory, you have to be careful. You have to be careful. Hey, folks, don't, don't, don't become blind to what Satan would love to do to you. Right? That's when you're susceptible the most is when you expect it the least. Now, let's look at this because Nehemiah, during all of this, and he's experienced this time of victory, Nehemiah was ready to dedicate the walls, and that's, folks, that's when the enemy began to break out against him. So what were the attacks? What were the attacks? That's the second question. There was four different attacks that Nehemiah experienced and, uh, and here's the enemy. The enemy's motive was to distract him, to begin to uh, make him stop the project or to detour him, to discourage him, to keep him from going forward in the mission that God had given him. And here's the fact of the matter, folks, is that leadership is one storm after another, is it not? 
Um, one poet said this, the roots grow, uh, roots grow deep when the winds are strong. And folks, one of the reasons why Nehemiah was so strong is that he had found a way to weather the storms, to keep his hand to the task, no matter how difficult the opposition was. He had experienced the winds of opposition from day one when he came to Jerusalem. Okay, all right, so uh, anyway, is that me? All right, now, anyway. So he experienced opposition from day one. I'm getting some opposition. No, I'm joking. All right, so I hope nobody's doing that to me. All right, so what he was going through some opposition, and I want you to notice specifically there's four attacks, and notice all four attacks are at the leader. And folks, listen, this is the same thing that Satan does. He's, he's trying to detour them, distract them from the mission. The very first thing was this. It was a personal request to trap him. Is it the other mic? All right, maybe. I think it's off, isn't it? All right, hopefully not. Now, we'll look at the very first one. There was a personal request to trap him. A personal request to trap him. Now, this request that uh, he got from his enemies would have been very easy for him to misunderstand what was going on. Look at verse 2. That Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some, some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. Now that word, they, they basically, these are who? This is the enemy that he had faced from the very beginning, Sanballat and, and Geshem. They bring a letter to him, and basically what they ask, Hey, uh, Nehemiah, you want to come meet us in the plains of Ono? in one of the villages that we're going to tell you. Now you're like, the plain of Ono, that means nothing to me. Okay, the plain of Ono was 20 miles north of Jerusalem. It was a, a lush, like lavish place. It was where rich people went on vacation. He's asking Nehemiah, and Nehemiah had been doing what, folks? Building a wall. You think that Nehemiah wouldn't like to go on vacation in the plains of Ono? Plains of Ono were sounding like, like a vacation. It sounded fantastic. And they send this letter to him and they say, hey, you want to come and meet us in the Plains of Ono? Like, it, it was like a, a lavish place. It, it, I mean, uh, it, it was great weather. And, and he could have taken a break from all those hard days of, of building a wall in the sun. But here's these guys, they come to him and they try to, you, you know, you want to take a break from building that wall? You know, it has been difficult. You could take a break and you can come meet with us. But here's the thing. Notice that Nehemiah had the discernment that he recognized there was something behind what they were asking. He recognized it. It's one of the things that we don't talk about very often, but you recognize that leaders, they have some traits that we don't recognize sometimes. The ability to be able to discern what's going on in the background. Notice that he says at the end of verse 2, he says, but they thought to do me what? Mischief. What's he saying? There's something going on behind the scenes. Why would they want to meet with me? And he recognized that they were planning something. How did he know it? We don't know. God gave him the ability to discern that something was going on. These guys, why do they want me to go to the plains of Ono? Why do they want me to go there? And I guarantee you one of the things that he does is this. The enemy will love to distract you with things that appear to be good things. 
He's like, well, maybe I, I could just go and meet with my enemies and we could straighten out this, this uh, misunderstanding that we have between each other. That would be appealing as a leader, right? But Nehemiah recognized that if he took a break from what he was doing and he went and he met with them, that it would have been taking away from the work that God had called him to do, finish the wall. Um, one of the greatest things that you face as a leader is this, not just, it's not necessarily bad things, it's just things that distract. I've learned that lesson myself. You know, uh, one of the most important things you can learn as a leader is the, these two, the, the two-letter word, no. You know, in leadership, just the ability to look at something and to be able to assess what's important, what's not. In leadership, you have to be able to assess what's going on and learn the valuable word, no. That's uh, actually a spiritual discipline, you know, to focus on what matters and not put attention on things that don't. Look at what he says in verse 3. I love how Nehemiah handles it. He says, and I sent a messenger unto them saying, I'm doing a great work. What does he say? I have a mission. I got a task. You know, uh, God's called me to do a lot of things, but meeting with you guys isn't one of them. And notice he says, I, I, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I, I leave it and come down to you? Why should I devote my attention away from rebuilding the wall and focus on you guys? And I don't, I, I don't even think he meant it ugly. But listen, folks, there's so man, this is good for our culture, all right? And, and I'm not going to go off on my tangent. I'm going to spare you guys, but listen, in our culture, there's so many things that threaten, for, that, that pull at our attention that aren't necessarily bad things in and of themselves. They're just not the best thing. One more time. There's a lot of things in our culture in our day that are not necessarily bad things. They pull at our attention, and they're not necessarily bad. They're just not what's best. And good leaders recognize and assess, what's the best thing I could be doing? And Nehemiah looked at it and he said, you know what? Uh, I, it's not that I wouldn't mind going to the plains of Ono, but it's just not what God called me to do. The ability to keep his hand at the task, to focus on the mission. And, and Nehemiah recognized that and he fixed his eyes. Hey, listen, you can't be a puppet of other people. You have to know what he's called you to do and to stay focused on that task. Now, what happens here is this. It's not just saying no. Have you recognized that when you tell some people no, you know what they think? Well, that just means I need to push harder. So what do they do? They'll come back and they'll, well, let me try this maybe from a different angle. And you know what happens? Look at verse 4. Notice what he says. Yet they sin unto me. How many times? Man, they're pestering him to death. All right, four times they come back. Four times after this sword, and I answered them after the same manner. I love that. Nehemiah's like, okay, you can just, you can bring it from a different angle, big boy. The answer doesn't change. It's still no. Hey, folks, listen, that request that they sent to him was a distraction from the enemy. And, folks, I, I think that it would be really good for all of us to recognize Satan sometimes doesn't come in the most devastating of ways. Sometimes it's a simple distraction. It's not necessarily like with the worst of all things, but sometimes it's just not the best thing. Hey, folks, recognize that. Recognize it. The second thing, notice this. 
a public letter to discredit him. Now notice, like, you'll see that each one of the attacks that Satan comes at him with or his enemy comes at him with, it, it continually gets worse. Okay, so notice what happens here. It's a public letter. So Sanballat and Tobiah, they sent a messenger to Nehemiah for the fifth time, and this time it's going to be an open letter. Look at what it happens in verse 5. Then Sanballat, his servant unto me, uh, uh, then sent Sanballat his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. What does that mean? An open letter. It means that when uh, Sanballat's messenger showed up into Jerusalem, it was something they read publicly. So when Sanballat's servant comes in and he comes into Jerusalem with this letter, notice that the enemy is going to begin to attack his character with gossip, okay? He's going to begin, how many times have we seen in the news where a person's character uh, is totally devastated because of what? Gossip, what the enemy makes up. And I'm not even getting into, you know, politics, but you guys know what I'm saying. People make up junk about somebody and everybody believes it. And not everything that people put out on social media is something you can believe. Shocker. <laughs> okay, we'll keep going. All right, but I'm getting a little excited. All right, so verses six and seven, look at what happens. This is the, what they say. Wherein was written, and Nehemiah is telling us what the letter says. Wherein was written, it's reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou biddest the wall, buildest the wall, and the Jews think uh, uh, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, now shall it be reported to the king according to these words, Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Now, you have to put the pieces together. What are they doing? They're coming into Nehemiah, and they're saying this. Nehemiah, if you're not going to come and meet with us in the plains of Ono, then we're going to report to the king of Persia what your real intentions are. Hey, folks, what are they going after? His character. They're going after, they think they know his motives. Have you ever had somebody assault your character before? Is that difficult? Man, what's your initial response to something like that when somebody, they bash you in front of other people? And not only that, but folks, this is an open letter to the whole city. Notice that what they say to him. In the letter, they accuse him specifically of two things. First of all, they're saying that when you came to Jerusalem, you came with the intentions of rallying everybody together in order to fight against Persia. You, you were trying to rally everybody. Your only intention of coming to Jerusalem in the first place was in order to fight with the Persians. Now, folks, we've read the background. We've read Nehemiah's letter. Nehemiah is a book where Nehemiah is writing down his intentions. Was that his intentions? His intentions were to do what? Build a wall. But folks, unfortunately, the enemy sometimes comes at us and they begin to assault our character. The first thing they said, you're trying to rebel against Persia. The second thing they do is this. They say, your motive is evil. You want to set yourself up as king. Did he ever have any intentions of coming to Jerusalem to be a king? He didn't even have an intention of being a governor until the people came and asked him. 
But folks, they began to uh, attack him and saying that he's sending prophets out through the land in order to be a king. It's not the first time that the enemy will attack us with what? With gossip. Folks, you know one of the things that's the most destructive things that we could do as believers? Is the way that we use our tongue. The enemy, when they wanted to destroy what Nehemiah was doing, they attacked him with false accusations. They began to assault his character. Why? If the people in Jerusalem began to doubt Nehemiah's character, what would happen? He would have no ability to lead them. None. Now I want you to notice, what are some of the things that we know about rumors and gossip? The first thing is this. A rumor is noted because a source is never declared. Have you ever noticed that when people talk about rumors, they never quote who it came from? Look at what he says in verse 6, and don't misunderstand. He's not quoting where it came from. Verse 6, it says, wherein was it written, it was reported among the heathen. Who's that from? We don't know. And Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel. Now, notice he mentions one person. Gashmu was only saying that he had heard it in his area. When, when it came down to it, did they know where it came from? Hey, folks, when, when there's no source behind it, and people aren't willing to put their name behind it, what does that mean? It's probably not worth listening to. You ever like recognize how many people like random information, but they'll never put their name to it? It's not worth reading. All right, another thing is this. The information was exaggerated and inaccurate. When they began to talk about it, uh, they didn't even check out the information. It was, it was false, and they began to feed it to other people. Have you noticed how gullible listeners and gullible gossips, they feed on that kind of information? Man, it's amazing how much misinformation can be passed between people. You ever, like, you remember as kids, they used to play that game where they would line up. What do they call that game? Telephone game? I don't know. Gossip? Is that what it's called? Well, how fitting. All right. And so was the thing was is that the kids would line up next to each other, and they whisper it into their ear, and they pass it down. By the time it gets to the end, what happens? It's 100% different. Like, it's not even close. And folks, that's what gossip is. It's misinformation. Another thing is this, it, it results in personal hurt. Hey folks, I've rarely been around where there was gossip going on that it didn't hurt somebody. It does a lot of damage, causes a lot of hurt. I, I've known people that, you know what, if a, a church is going to be that way, I don't want to have anything to do with it. It does a lot of hurt. Another thing is, uh, it's a tactic that's employed, was backed by wrong motivation. Listen, Nehemiah was in a dilemma. And the thing is, is the enemy put him in a bad spot. And Nehemiah, let's say that he didn't go to the plains of Ono. You know what the accusation would have been? Well, he's not going to the plains of Ono because he knows it's true. But let's say if the reverse, let's say that he chose not to go to Ono, like his, which is what he did. What was the, what was, let's say that he did go to the plains of Ono, what would happen? Well, the wall wouldn't be finished. So either way, he's in a dilemma. You can't, listen, folks, you can't do what uh, people want you to do. You can't people please and expect to be able to complete the task of what God's called you to do. There's some times where you have to ignore the opposition and press forward and keep to the task. That's what Nehemiah did. Now, folks, listen, I, I want to give you 
look, there's several things that rumors, uh, when people spread rumors, there's several things that are going on. First of all, it's showing a lack of wisdom. Folks, when you spread gossip, that is not wise. It is not wise. Did you know that in Proverbs 6, there's a list of seven things that God hates? Did you know that there's, from the seven, three of them have to deal with your mouth? Did you know that God hates people that sow discord? Right? He hates it. The ones that create division. If you're that type of person, you really need to pray about that. Now, another thing is it shows a lack of accurate information. You, you should ask yourself when you hear something, you know, is that information, who's it coming from? Where's the source? Is it true? It also was a, a lack of a proper setting. Because listen, when they came in and they brought the letter, they read it where? In front of everybody. Is that the way believers should handle things? Publicly? These were unbelievers he was dealing with. I recognize that. But listen, folks, if you ever have a question or, or, or you, you wonder about somebody's motives, you know the best thing you should do? Go to the person and talk to them about it. And that's the very best thing. See, uh, it would have been very easy for this to be a distraction from Nehemiah that could have gotten him off the target. But what I love about Nehemiah is this. Nehemiah handled it in an incredible way. You're like, well, how did he do it? Folks, when you are gossiped about, isn't it good for you to know how to handle it? Okay, now this is what Nehemiah does. Three things and then we're going to kind of, we'll have to shut it down for tonight. All right, the very first thing Nehemiah did was this. He calmly denied the accusation. Notice the key word, the operative word is calmly. I don't know about you guys. I battle with my flesh. And my typical way that I would like to respond to it is, you know what, they're in the wrong. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Nehemiah was calm. He was direct. He was honest. Look at what he says in verse 8. Then I sent unto him, saying, there are no such things done as you say. What's he saying? There's absolutely zero truth to everything that you just said. Hey, folks, there's nothing wrong with saying that. He just stood up and he said, you know what? I didn't say, there's no truth to what you said. The second thing he said is this. You're inventing things. Look at the rest of verse 8. You're inventing things. But thou feignest them out of thine own mind. You're making them up. You came up with this. That didn't come from me. Now, the third thing that he did, and folks, this is where the rubber meets the road. Because I'll be honest with you, this is where I've failed before. The third thing that Nehemiah did is he took the rumor, the gossip, he took it to God in prayer. Look at what he says in verse 9. For they all made us afraid, saying their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now therefore, what? O God, strengthen my hands. Hey, folks. When people disappoint you, and folks, they will, and people say stuff that they probably shouldn't say, one of the greatest lessons that you could learn in your Christian life is not to get bitter about it, not to get upset and to stay angry. Well, I'm going to harbor that in my heart for a, a month. Folks, that's the worst thing that you could do, and you suffer because of it. The best thing you could do is to get on your hands 
and get on your knees, take it to God, pray about it, and leave it with him. You're like, well, that, that doesn't feel quite as good as when you let him know what you think. It might not, but you'll feel better about it later. I can't tell you how many times you say something off the cuff and you regret it later and you're like, man, it would have been handled a lot better if I just took it to the Lord. Folks, listen, and, and here's why you pray about it. You're like, Ryan, why would I ever pray about that? I don't want to pray about it. I want to give them a piece of my mind. Well, listen, this is why you pray about it. You give it to God because God sees the situation better than you. And listen, when you pray about it, prayer is not God, you bending God's will to yours. It's God bending your will towards his. And when you begin to pray about it, you know what I've noticed is that you begin to change the way that you would respond to it. And you begin to say, you know what, I'm going to handle it the way you want me to. And not only that, but folks, listen, it'll keep you from being bitter and angry about it for weeks on end. Folks, when you get bitter and angry about it, who suffers? Folks, you're the only one that's losing sleep at night. I guarantee you that the person that said it about you, they're not even thinking about it again. And yet we want to sit and stew and get angry and upset. Listen, if, if that happens, take it to the Lord in prayer. Because listen, the Lord sees it, and who can handle them better than you? Who can handle it better than you? Why don't you let God discipline them? Man, that would be far better. But we don't like to wait. Now, if you're the one that likes to gossip, one of the great verses that you could memorize in Scripture, if, if you misuse your tongue, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says this. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good to the use of what? Edifying. That it may minister what? Grace unto the hearers. Ask yourself the question of whether what you're saying, is it going to minister grace to them? Is it going to edify them? Is it going to build them up? If you want to know what should come out of your mouth, listen, ask yourself the question. Ephesians 4.29, is it corrupt communication? Am I building somebody up? Does it minister grace to people? And look, folks, if it doesn't, guess what? Sometimes it's better just to let, leave it unsaid. Let's uh, bow our heads and we'll close our eyes and close this down. Um, I'll ask that the ushers in the back, if you can bring the offering plates down. I imagine in, a, in, in an auditorium with this many people in it, there's some of us that have been hurt by things people have said. And I, can, I, I would imagine that maybe there's somebody you feel the weight of what somebody said. One of the greatest things you could do is maybe just choose to release it. Maybe that's what God's dealing with your heart about. Maybe you're a person that's been distracted from the mission that God gave you. Get back on track. As we close and as we pray for this offering, why don't you pray and ask the Lord to help you with that area that he's been speaking to you about. Lord, we come before you this evening and we just ask. Lord, would you just deal with our hearts? Lord, I pray that you would not allow us to be a bitter people. Lord, help us to be a people that focus on the mission. And Lord, we learn to give, you ba give back the, the hurts to you. 
to allow the healing to take place. Lord, I pray that you would be with this evening's offering and that you would provide for the needs that we have. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.